this is Dan Zhang with Subversity here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. Uh, coming up, a uh, talk with Alan Dang, who's uh, been involved with the survey of queer Asians, uh, a national, the first national survey, um, and he's calling in from the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force. Uh, welcome, Alan. Hello, how are you? Hi, cool. Uh, you're a UCI alumnus, and how do you feel to have uh, done this survey? Um, this was a really amazing experience. I was able to talk to uh, community leaders across the country and really learn about um, this really vibrant and active uh, segment of both the LGBT community and uh, the API community. And so it was a really eye-opening experience. So LGBT means uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered community. And API yes. is Asian Pacific, Asian American Pacific Islander community. Yes. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know so many acronyms out there. <laughs> For sure. Um, how how does you uh, how do you um, What's the main um, What's the main finding from the, uh, from the, your survey? Uh, well, we actually found you know actually really disturbingly high rates of discrimination and harassment. Uh, this this discrimination and harassment came from both um, the Asian and Pacific Islander community and from the larger um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender uh, communities. Um, we found that 98% of respondents had reported experiencing at least one form of discrimination uh, in their lives. Um, the majority of them um, either being based on their race or ethnicity or conversely like, on, based on their uh, sexual orientation. And um, you got a good response rate, right? I mean, I, I, it seems to me that there, were, there was uh, kind of quite a lot of women that answered also. Uh, we had a tremendous response uh, to the survey. We um, ended up um, including 863 uh, respondents nationwide um, coming from all parts of the country, um, uh, a variety of, of ethnicities, uh, genders, um, and all, and all uh, basic measures. I mean, we had a very diverse uh, sample that was uh, fairly representative of of our community do you um do you, the other th finding of it is that some of the issues that are that people are concerned about what what are the main issues that uh, that your survey respondents were concerned about uh, we asked you know the question like what is the most important issue facing um, lesbian gay bisexual and transgender asian and pacific islanders in the u.s and we found that the most important issue like, was hate violence and harassment. 39% uh, of our respondents reported that as being like, the most uh, important issue, uh, followed by media representations, marriage equality, and immigration. Um, so there's a variety you know, of issues, you know, and there's not kind of one kind of overriding um, concern. They're, you know, they're you know, concerned about a variety of you know, of things. Uh, a lot of it had to do with, you know, like uh, personal safety and like also like how like our community is portrayed um, in the media. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Non-citizens um, are more concerned about immigration, right? Um, a good, you know, a good number, you know, a good number are. 
um, that because immigration has been, you know, such has been like talked prominently like in the news like over the past year. Um, so that of course, you know, kind of like, raises the awareness like of these, like of the immigration uh, debate, and you know, people are coming to this debate, you know, from a variety of variety of perspectives. Like not only from the perspective of of you know, like bringing uh, partners, you know, permanent partners like Immigration Act, Uniting American Families Act, you know, like on one hand, but also, you know, concerned about comprehensive uh, immigration reform. Uh, the uh, I have one question about why you didn't ask about national origin, like country of national origin. Um, we, you know, like asked, you know, we had questions about, um, about citizenship. Um, so we, you know, found that, you know, a good number, you know, like, of our respondents, like, were non-U.S. citizens, and there were differences uh, between, you know, some differences between respondents who um, were, you know, like, born U.S. citizens, naturalized citizens, and non-U.S. Um, citizens. But the length of the survey also um, kind of prevented us from, you know, like, asking, you know, like, a lot of questions that we really wanted to uh, find out more The other area, about. yeah, yeah, I'm sure... Uh, the other area I thought you conflated was uh, um, you didn't ask uh, in terms of um, you just asked Chinese and I know you did ask dialects and all that but the um, what do people who are from Taiwan identify as Taiwanese and not Chinese? Uh, we did uh, we did offer you know the opportunity for folks to write in uh, like write in responses to and like with a survey you know this long like and this like and this complex, um, we couldn't um, delve into every um, possible, like every possible, like every possible issue. Did they? Did anybody say they were Taiwanese and not Chinese? Uh, did uh, yeah, yes, write? yes, a good number, um, a good number did. Ah, and um, you know, I was actually impressed that uh, in terms of the percentage breakdown, it reflected somewhat the uh, census figures in the population, although it was over overrepresented Chinese. Uh, uh, Chinese were um, overrepresented, but um, on other measures, um, there was, you know, a good, you know, like variety of uh, people from all um, from all ethnic um, backgrounds. How uh, how did the survey get done? Uh, we actually ran a pilot survey in 2004, um, uh, based mostly in the Northeast, and like because of the findings of that. Um, survey, we decided to do it nationwide. And, you know, it was a long process of, you know, kind of refining um, the actual survey instrument and also building relationships with uh, many um, Asian Pacific Islander LGBT organizations uh, around the country, uh, groups um, in Seattle and Chicago and the Bay Area, LA, like up and down the East Coast. Um, like these like organizations were very instrumental in recruiting like their members in outreaching to others um, in their communities um, to participate uh, in the survey. Um, so it was very much a you know collaborative uh, project um, between the task force, like and like more than a dozen uh, grassroots, like all volunteer-run organizations around the country. Yeah, and you do list a lot of them in the uh, appendix to the report. Uh, yes, that was just one attempt at you know trying to. Uh, identify like a lot of these, like a lot of these organizations. Um, so it's not complete, um, but uh, we made a really good effort in trying to identify as many as we as we could find contact information for. 
Did they um did they fill out a pen and pencil uh I mean pen pencil and paper or pen and paper uh, surveys or did they do it on a web uh, format in a web format on a web uh, product or whatever? Uh, the survey was actually done all online, um, and we had a web hosting company um, host the survey um, in English, Chinese, Korean, and Vietnamese. Uh, so we you know, were able to you know, disseminate this through various mailing lists um, and also um, doing um, personal outreach you know, at different events around the country during the data collection period. Did you have the, do you have the breakdown on which, um, how many uh, answered it in the different various languages? Um, there were, the numbers are, trying to find the exact, the exact breakdown, like, of that. Um, we had uh, actually 26 respondents um, completed the survey in Chinese, five in Korean, um, and four in Vietnamese, um, and the, rem the rest uh, completed the survey uh, in English. Is, is that surprising? Were you expecting more in the um, so-called vernacular languages? Um, we, were, uh, we were hoping um, for more, but that took very uh, specific you know, indirect outreach uh, to get uh, folks to uh, take the survey um, in these other in these other languages. And we know, you know, going into this that like, even if uh, folks were, you know, bilingual, a lot of them would choose to um, take it in, in English. So we had actually had to make a proactive effort to uh, recruit people to actually take the, <laughs> uh, take the survey in these other languages. Did the, um, do you find that um, the results are skewed towards a more uh, highly educated group? Um, in, some, in some areas, that was um, that was true uh, because it was online, um, and most people um, took it in in English. The respondents tended to be, you know, like higher educated. Um, also had um, higher incomes. Um, uh, spoke English um, more, and were you know very much concentrated like in their twenties and thirties. <laughs> um, so in the, so that was kind of the 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 trade off. You know, we had to yeah trade-off we had to accept in order to do a, an online survey. Is that the, um, because of the group, the memberships of these groups are mostly aimed, uh, mostly composed now of people in their 20s and 30s? Um, that tended to be the, tended to be the case. Uh, the real active membership, you know, is, you know, right around, right around 30 and college educated mm. and uh, most likely, um, like, born in the, born in the U.S. And a lot of them were uh, graduates. Uh, you know, had higher education graduate degrees. Right, right. A lot of them were um, very highly educated um, as well, and you know, you know, probably you know, like second, you know, second, third generation. Would use a uh, second or third, huh? So you would think that if they were second or third, they would have less discrimination on the basis of race, for instance, or ethnicity. But the, were there was there any way to uh, tease that out to see if the longer you've stayed. Were recent immigrants more likely to be harassed than, or, or be discriminated against than, uh, like, you know, longer, longer people, longer people have stayed in here, different generations. Um, we couldn't tease that out uh, specifically, but what we could, you know, tease out was actually that the U.S.-born uh, respondents 
reported higher rates of discrimination based on race and ethnicity like and sexual orientation. <laughs> like Non-U.S. citizens wow, like, were less um, likely to report that. But conversely, non-U.S. citizens are also more likely to report um, experiencing discrimination based on their English proficiency and immigration status. So do you think, why do you think that's, there's that disparity? I mean, it's, you would think that people longer here would have less discrimination. Yeah, but I also think like uh, folks born in the like born in the U.S. are more conscious like of mm. like of race and kind of like the racial dynamic uh, like in the U.S. You know, and are more likely to like process like these experiences as you know being racist experiences, um, like whether they you know took place five years ago or ten you know fifteen years ago. You know, it still kind of resonates. Uh, I think because of their uh, experience of growing up like in this country, there's more like consciousness of that and people are more aware and mm. likely to identify it that way. You know, because I was, uh, I'm working on a project right now uh, on a, uh, with uh, some people to do a documentary on uh, Vietnamese uh, gay people. And what struck me in, as we um, uh, did this project was that the responses from the younger people was different from the um, uh, more experienced or older people. The older people tend to talk about race a lot more, and the younger people did not. Do you did you find that in the in your results? Uh, we uh, we didn't actually break like out our responses by um, by age. Um, so that would be really interesting to really interesting to explore uh, a so little bit. They didn't identify their age. Uh, folks did. Oh. So you could actually go back and... Um, so we could um, go back and, you know, like look at, you know, experience the differences in experiences between, you know, folks of different uh, different age cohorts. Uh, what was the youngest uh, age group that you were able to tap? Uh, we had, uh, you know, a good number of respondents in their teens, um, but the bulk of respondents, like we're in their 20s and 30s, um, but we had folks all the way up into their 60s uh, participate yeah. in the survey as well. And um, did you, with, with, was it surprising any of the, I mean, apart from the high rate of, you know, discrimination uh, that was faced by the respondents, what were other things that actually struck out, uh, st- stood out uh, in your analysis of this, these results? Um, actually, the real um, importance that uh, people place on media representations, um, I think that was something that is a little more like resonant um, in Asian and Pacific Islander communities like than in many other um, communities. Because not only did like, the LGBT of respondents report media representations as a really high priority, but they also, our survey response also identified uh, media representations as a top issue of concern for like the overall um, like Asian and Pacific Islander uh, community, and I think that's actually something that's sometimes surprising to uh, folks outside uh, the community. Right. Uh, you do uh, include a discussion of the controversy a few years back over uh, depiction in uh, details. Was it Details magazine? Uh, yes, about the Asian feature in details. Yeah, and the stereotypical kind of tags that were applied to a, a picture of a, 
uh, uh, kind of a yuppie uh, gay Asian, I suppose, um, and um, written as if it was uh, read by a non-Asian kind of uh, audience. Right. I think that was a real kind of a turning point in a lot of the activism um, and a lot of um, Asian and Pacific Islander, like LGBT like organizations around the country, they're able to really use that as a, you know, as a teaching like moment, you know, and a just real concrete discussion, you know, like around, like around race, like around stereotypes, you know, like around how powerful like words and images are. Yeah. Um, do you think that, um, do you think, I know that, uh, did the magazine actually apologize eventually or what? Uh, the magazine did um, apologize. Uh, we had you know, a series of actions, um, including uh, a demonstration in front of their in front of their offices. You know, collected thousands of, of emails and letters to them, and met with the editor in chief like, of the magazine and uh, Fairchild Publications, like their parent company. And we met with them twice um, to talk about um, these issues. And in subsequent um, issues, they did um, like print. Um, an apology, like in the magazine. Oh, that's cool. The uh, the other thing I was going to ask you: Did you uh, you did ask some questions about relationships, and um, a, like a, a what a third of the people said they were in committed relationships. Um, right, right. We asked, you know, like about their current uh, current relationship status. You know, and a third um, said they were um, in a committed relationship. Uh, like ten percent said they had a domestic partner. Um, you know, so there are kind of varying levels of, um, like, of relationships and of uh, commitment, like, in their uh, relationships on various stages. Was that true between uh, men and women? Uh, were, were women more committed? Uh, women were more likely to be in a committed relationship. Um, when we broke it out uh, by, um, by gender, like, 37% of women um, said they were in a committed relationship uh, versus thirty uh, percent for men. Wow. Um, and and uh, how about the transgendered uh, community that uh, the respondents had answered? Uh, we weren't able to um, tease out the the transgender respondents in that in that mm. particular question. It's too too low the numbers. Because the too. sample size. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a little low in that respect. I, I noticed that the most of the respondents seem to be from California, right? Um, right, uh, th- about 37% of our respondents were from California, um, and we you know, were able to compare the, the geographic location of our respondents to that like, of the U.S. Census. Um, so we were able to you know, determine that you know, just about 50%, you know, just under 50% of our respondents uh, like, were like, from the Western uh, like U.S., uh, which correlates pretty closely to uh, the geographic distribution of of Asians, like in the U.S. How, how many were from Orange County? Um, you know, I'm not exactly. Uh-huh. You know, I'm not exactly sure. Because I noticed in your discussion, you mentioned Orange County uh, a little bit uh, about, uh, about the census kind of uh, percentages or whatever. Uh, I thought it was about your survey also. Um, in one of the chapters it mentioned, uh, Orange County was mentioned. Right, right. I think we had, you know, like off the top of my 
like off the top of my head, um, we probably had you know a couple dozen uh, respondents um, like in the Orange County area, but uh -huh. a lot were kind of concentrated in like in Los Angeles, yeah, in yeah, LA, yeah, LA yeah. County. Yeah, yeah. And the, the uh, and do you do you attribute the high number of respondents in from California? Do you attribute that to the activities of the local community groups? Um, yeah, this survey like would not have been possible without the, you know, without the cooperation, you know, and help like from these local uh, community organizations because like they were the ones you know who really were able to even send like a personal like note or personal invitation um, like to their networks um, to to participate. And I came out to California like, All right. three or four times. Uh, during the process, you know, to talk um, with groups, you know, and to help, you know, in any way I could right, uh, to right. do more, like, personal, like, outreach and recruitment. Um, but we really wanted to make sure that um, the survey was, you know, like, representative of, you know, communities around the country. Um, maybe we could address uh, political participation. Uh, you, you show a high degree of involvement, it seems, of uh, the respondents in political uh, activities, and such as protest activities, uh, petitioning the government, or petitioning uh, authorities, and um, also participating in uh, voting. Um, yeah, I mean, we recorded, like, extremely high rates of <laughs> high rates of voting. Uh, you know, I think a lot of this also had to do with the fact that we went through, you know, like, organizations, you know, and, you know, people involved with organizations, you know, probably tend to be a bit more, mm -hmm. uh, like, politically active, like and aware, so you know I do want to kind of caution the you know folks to kind of take the results of the survey in this political um, participation section, like with a little grain of salt, because like it's you know these folks who were participated in the survey are probably a bit more politically active than the community as a whole. There was a huge uh, identification with Democratic Party, and uh, did you see uh, a move? Or well, I guess you couldn't tap a move, but did you see also uh, support for alternative parties like Green and other parties? I mean, there was a huge, I mean, there was a good, you know, like 20% that were not enrolled um, in any party. Oh, right. Um, so, you know, and I think that also, you know, is reflective of, you know, the fact that a lot of younger um, like folks, you know, who are voting for the first time, you know, are also kind of uh, choosing to, like, not identify with a particular, with a particular party, um, like, right off the bat. Um, so that was, you know, pretty, I think, consistent with a lot of general trends that you see that a lot of people are kind of um, choosing to withhold a particular party identification um, for, a, uh, like for a time. Yeah, I know in, even in Orange County, the uh, stereotype is that, for instance, the Vietnamese committee is uh, strongly Republican, and yet uh, work done by people like uh, Chris Collette, who uh, got his Ph.D. here in political science at Irvine, um, showed that uh, among the younger generations, there's a huge move towards independent voting. Uh, they're more likely now to vote independent or Democrat, or to register independent or Democrat, than to uh, register Republican. So people under 30, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely just seems that people are more, you know, concerned about, you know, particular issues, right. you know, or kind of vote on, like, issues or individual candidates, like, as opposed to, you know, towing a straight party line. Right. Um, they right. kind of, they kind of identify, you know, a couple issues that are particularly important to them, you know, and kind of use that, 
you know, as a filter to like learn more about um, particular issues and candidates and use that as the basis for voting. Did, did you have any survey questions that tapped uh, like political activity within the kind of alternative communities, uh, within the gay community, for instance, um, such as uh, participating in um, gay pride marches or things like that? Um, uh, we didn't ask specifically, you know, about participation in uh, in gay pride marches. Um, what was, you know, kind of interesting, that was a general, like kind of a general trend in a lot of the answers was that, like one of the conclusions that um, like we came to was that a lot of folks in um, like the Asian and Pacific Islander LGBT community tend to be a bit more active in in participating in their local communities, um, LGBT like organizations um, and activities versus participating in kind of mainstream like Asian and Pacific Islander uh, types of organizations. Um, so, like, we w- kind of want to explore that uh, dynamic, you know, a little more. That even they say they felt more comfortable, like, working in LGBT groups and organizations than they felt working in API organizations and communities. So, you think that's uh, is because there's discrimination in the mainstream Asian communities? I thought this is much more open now. Um, I think it is. Um, I think it is becoming uh, like more open. Like, and I'm. You know, like, not exactly sure, like, what the reasoning is, because I get, you know, there's, like, the survey data, but then there's also, like, really strong, like, anecdotal, like, evidence, so it may really, you know, depend on, you know, like, particular, like, personalities, particular uh, communities, mm-hmm. uh, like, of organizations, like, out there, and what their particular mission is, and what their focus uh, is. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about Alan Dang, who's from the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force and has come up with this report called uh, Life in the Margins, uh, Living yeah. in the Margins. Living in the Margins. Yeah, <laughs> and you can Google it at uh, on Google and get the report. Um, and it's in uh, PDF. The full report is on uh, in the format of PDF. And there's a link actually from the Subversity website, uh, KUCI.org slash tilde, D-T-S-A-N-G. Uh, um, you didn't ask, uh, maybe we could talk about the whole issue of uh, rice queens. Uh, did you have any, from your survey, can you get, have any um, any um, clarification on this whole issue of, uh, controversial issue of uh, rice queens? Uh, no, we didn't <laughs> uh, focus on that, like on that aspect. There were so many like different areas you know, that we could have focused on. I know that's a really big uh, point of contention like even within um, the API, right, for sure. like LGBT community, um, but we uh, kind of steered clear of that like angle and kind of focused more on uh, like kind of the political, um, the political activities and political participation uh, of our like of our community. But that is a real like a real like salient discussion that's, that's going on in communities um, it's, across uh, the country. It's definitely sexual politics. Um, sexual politics. In the bedroom <laughs> or <laughs> whatever. Uh, the, the rice queen refers to us, uh, somebody who's attracted to Asians, and, um, and so the whole issue of race comes into play often um, with that. Um, yeah, and there's a whole movement, you know, around um, like sexual racism and, you know, a lot of discussions like across the, 
like across the country, you know, the whole uh, idea of like, even uh, Asian, like gay Asians dating other gay Asians, you know, I mean, that's really right. uh, like has had a foothold like in California, but it's actually starting to like spread, like spread across the country. You think it's less, less uh, visible in other parts of the country? Um, I think it is. I think it's still, still less visible. I, I think even in New York, it's a couple of years behind like where California is because uh, there is a community in New York that, you know, that you know, doesn't shy away from, you know, intra, um, right. like ethnic uh, dating, um, but it's still like a very small, like a small cohort of, cohort of folks and tend to be actually like the younger like the younger folks who are more open to, you know, like dating, like within uh, like the community and not see each other like as competition, <laughs> um, but actually see each other as potential partners. Are these more, uh, the more recent, you said they're, they're more likely the more recent immigrants or, or more the, the people who are born here or what? Um, I think a lot of it, it's, I think less a matter of, of being born here or like born abroad, but I think more of a function of age. And that kind of set, tending to see like younger, like younger folks, um, like more open to um, like dating like other Asians um, than maybe some, maybe some of the older like folks who didn't grow up like with such a large um, API population like around them. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I'm not sure if that's totally true uh, because uh, like I came from uh, Hong Kong. And, uh, I mean, I had Asian boyfriends, um, you know, in my teens. And, um, and so it was n- natural to have, uh, to do that. I had, uh, you know, people within my community as, uh, being attra- found to be attractive. Um, and so, and I'm definitely an older person. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, but maybe I'm an exception. Uh, by the way, I probably couldn't answer your question. I I didn't know how to, because I wasn't born here, but I wasn't um, I wasn't also an immigrant. So if, if that's um, you know possible, uh, so uh, because my mother was actually an American citizen. So oh right. So you can get citizenship through your parents actually. So I didn't know how to answer that category. <laughs> yeah, that's because like the it's, limitations of you could be a, design. <laughs> Well, I suppose you could be a U.S. born. So, I mean, in the sense that you have a U.S. Um, identity when you were born, I suppose. Citizenship. Right. Yeah, maybe that's the way to get around it. Um, I wanted to ask you more also about your your background. Uh, you, you you came to UCI, and you were quite active uh, in student government. I remember here at UC Irvine. Uh, um, I was. I was yeah. <laughs> actually one of those. Uh, maybe anomalies where I was kind of super like hyper involved, you know, in a variety of of activities, like starting out with student government, um, but also working, you know, with a variety of variety of organizations, you know, that I think really rounded out, like rounded out my experience. Uh, I think one issue you worked on was this, um, wasn't there over housing for gay and lesbian couples who were in grad school? Wasn't that, was that your time or was that a different time? That may have been a that may have been a different time. Ah, okay. <laughs> that issue may have been settled by the time I even yeah by the time I even got there. 
there was one vote though. Wasn't there a vote at at the student body uh, over some gay issue? Was there some? Do you remember working with? Uh, were you here when Sharon Dang was here? I do you think her? I think at the, around the time, I think around the time I was there, there was a, a UC system wide ah. uh, initi- initiative. I think around domestic partner benefits. Ah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that was in the mid to late nineties. Uh, when they finally, like, finally approved, I think, domestic partner benefits for university employees. That's right. And yeah. in housing and in other, like, in other areas. Because I remember going to a regent's meeting mm. um, at, at UCLA at the time, and that was, you know, those crazy regent's meetings with massive security and two-minute public comment <laughs> <laughs> guidelines and... Uh-huh like limited speech abilities and that was really really kind of crazy but in tumultuous time but also a time I think of a lot of like a lot of change and a lot of progress yeah you you, was, you got a BA in uh, environmental analysis and design from social ecology uh, program at the time here and um, did you know you were going to end up doing this type of stuff uh, no I didn't uh, I think when I was when I was a student, I wanted to study things that I was really interested in, you know, and that was a really interesting um, like education uh, for me because a lot of it was about learning about communities and uh, about how we live like as a community in relation to each other, but also in relation to um, our built environment and the environment that we live and uh, that we live in. So yeah. that was was kind of particularly interesting. And then when I went on um, to do urban planning, it was all about like community, uh, like building community, uh, like grassroots community organizing, like community development. And so that was always, I think, a strong theme uh, in my education. And that's definitely a highlight of, I mean, a strong theme at UCLA, uh, community uh, building. Uh, definitely. Yeah. And that was, I think, one of the reasons why I um, uh, chose, that, chose that program. In terms of identity, um, I had a discussion the other day with a student who um, was debating whether identity matters anymore. And uh, I know in Asian American studies, they stress identity. And, um, and, and, uh, you know, I mean, they're always focusing on identity and the way they teach the classes. Um, How did your identity evolve over the time you were at UC Irvine, I mean? Um, I think I got a really strong education like in identity like at at UC Irvine I think when I started I was really actually almost like unconscious like compared to and just like really did not even think about how uh, different markers like of identity like really played out in mm-hmm. real life but I kind of got that education like, I think at like at Irvine like at the time like really thinking about kind of like where I am like as an individual and how that kind of relates to like more um, like larger like larger groups like out there do you uh, do you remember any particular causes that uh, struck you in that development um, well actually I actually do remember uh, I think it was even one of those like introductory like Asian American Studies courses mm. uh, where we talked even just learning about you know where 
different communities live and like where they like settle and like how they've developed um, those like those particular even like ethnic enclaves and like what that means like to a particular what that means to a particular community because even like the API you know community in Orange County is very different you know like from that like in the Bay Area and that's very different from that like in Houston or in Virginia or Florida and like and how that like really impacts um, like the kind of like socialization mm -hmm. that you get growing up and how that kind of carries with you you know when you move when you move to a different city or move to a different region or or for me moving you know to the other other coast did you were you were you i mean um where were you where did you grow up uh, sorry where did you grow up uh, before you got to uci i mean um i grew up um, in san jose like in the bay uh, area uh. um so it was you were born here on um and i was born yeah born and raised in san jose uh -huh. And your parents came from? And my parents came from Vietnam um, in the early 60s. So they oh. came for college. Predated the boat people. Exodus. And kind of predated that whole mass uh, mass migration. Yeah, yeah. And uh, were, they, um, were they ethnic Vietnamese or were they other ethnicities in Vietnam? Um, they are um, they are ethnic uh, Vietnamese. Ah, and... Um, did you identify as Vietnamese American or as American or as Asian American when you got to UCI? Um, when I got to UCI, I probably, I think I probably identified, you know, as like American slash Asian American. Because mm -hmm. uh, I think even like where I grew up, you know, kind of on the west side of San Jose, like in Cupertino, like I was Asian and there was a you know, a large, like, Asian population, but, like, it was all Taiwanese, you know, so I was actually one of the few Vietnamese, like, in my school, because, like, all the Vietnamese lived like, on the east side of, on the east side of San Jose. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was actually a different experience for me to move to Orange County, and, you know, and be, like, surrounded by, you know, such a large, like, Vietnamese community, uh, stuff. but a Vietnamese community that was also very different from the Vietnamese community that I New, like in San Jose. So, did you have uh, did you have a Asian American identity before you had a gay identity? Stuff. I believe I believe I did. I think even at my time at um, Irvine, it was more a development like of an Asian American identity. Yeah, I don't recall you as being out at Irvine. No, uh, <laughs> no, no. It was that was actually I think part of my coming out experience was it took years. Um, at like at Irvine, and it wasn't really until I think my fourth, kind of between the end of my third and fourth year, like that I really that I really came out at Irvine. Yeah. At Irvine. Yeah, yeah. And um, was it uh, was it a difficult process? Or um, maybe you could I, talk about that. Yeah. I think it was it was kind of a difficult process because I was very like I was very independent. I still am very independent, so I like to really do things on my own, like on my own time and and figure it out for myself. You know, so I didn't really kind of like avail myself to like the resources um, that are that are available like on campus and and this is also even kind of predating predating the whole I guess like online like internet like community yeah like as well so there wasn't really like chat rooms i can go to in the safety of my own room and 
it was know, like meet like meet other it was bbs's i think bbsing i think like yeah like I, didn't, I didn't, didn't get really, involved in that yeah i didn't really participate like in that you know and they didn't have like aol didn't really have chat rooms or people didn't really go into them much you know on a wide scale until you know until the very late 90s there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when that really blew up but that was kind of like too late for too late for me and my entire college career had already passed by at that point <laughs> did you have to come out to your parents at the time or was it later or what was the pro- that process like um yeah that was that was like much later but it was still kind of an ongoing like ongoing thing or it's like this kind of silent acknowledgement you know but we don't really talk about it do they know where you work and stuff um and they yeah they do know where I work. <laughs> um, they've seen like all my reports but uh-huh, still uh-huh. i i we still don't really talk like, about we still don't really talk about it so is it do they think you're just working there i mean that you don't have any kind of identity connection to it yeah they may think of that i just work here and they know that I've you know been kind of like an activist like all my life so it's oh, yeah. kind of nothing like nothing surprising you know that I'm like doing this kind of work and they kind of actually now like really come to embrace that uh-huh. and are actually encouraging me to encourage me to what one day like run for office because they think like that's you know like one you know so what kind of Asian parents actually encourage their kids to run for office you know <laughs> <laughs> but they've actually come full circle and yeah. are now starting to you encourage me to do that maybe they have a polit- political machine behind behind you then <laughs> right right hopefully <laughs> <you think> so? <laughs> the uh do you, how about in terms of relationships uh was that uh um was that a easy thing or or not um i think i mean i think like everyone i think you learn through you learn through your experiences and that's really been true like true for myself um i think i just you know it's just been a long process of of really of really growing up like learning myself learning what i learning what i want learning what i can tolerate learning what i'm willing to you know negotiate and compromise and it's you know i think it just takes it just takes time so did the uh with your gay identity have something to do with your moving to new york to get a job or was it more something uh, else no it was just it was actually completely random um i actually had kind of planned to move to new york like for a while but really hadn't made any solid you know, like solid plans you know to do it and then this job um, actually came up uh. and i got you know accepted the job and literally upped and left I'm like la like in a matter of three weeks wow um, and it was really kind of spur of the moment actually I mean, is it hard? I I know that Shoshu College has a probably has a good record, right, of uh, helping people place place people, or do they? What do you think? Uh, I mean, so not so well. You left for uh, UCLA, so did they have a help? Did they help you get find a find contacts and get jobs, or was it? Did you do it on your own? Um, I actually did it. Actually, did it on my own. Wow. Um, I actually kind of graduated at a really bad time, uh, like in the economy, um, so it was really hard to. <laughs> It was really hard to find find work. Uh, I just seemed to kind of have that bad luck, like in timing, where I'd always graduate right after a, right huh. during a recession or a like economic bust. So it was, you know, pretty difficult to 
pretty difficult to find work, but you know, like this experience, like at the task force, has been really, uh, really amazing. Yeah, and the policy analyst position there. Um, do you think that type of job is is that easy to find uh, nationwide? Um, I, I think in every organization and in like every issue area that um, you want to work in, like there are these kinds of jobs, and you know, especially these um, program jobs that like really allow you to be creative and you know, like work with so many different uh, communities and network and work in coalition with so many other organizations. Like it really is kind of this, like this community of, like of folks you know, who are really trying to, you know, create a progressive movement. Yeah, yeah. And um, is, do you see this movement as endangered or is it thriving, uh, this whole movement for, you know, kind of policy studies and also uh, that work in the community? No, I definitely see it it as thriving. I mean, I think, you know, I think the progressive community, like, actually has not been investing enough, like, in in policy work, like, in think tanks, you know, and to really develop um, that solid messaging, you know, that can really move, like, move the agenda uh, forward. Um, I think we're actually kind of, like, 10, 20 years behind, like, what the right is doing. Um, we can actually learn from them in terms of like message discipline and like how you have, you know, people from like the president, you know, to senators to like women on the street, like on the right having the exact same like talking points and they kind of like pound home those, those messages, but we don't have that same kind of discipline um, like on the progressive side. I mean, that's something that I think that is starting to develop now and people are actually starting to communicate with each other and starting to work together to develop that, that message discipline. Isn't there a danger that there's just be kind of PC, kind of politically correct stuff, that if somebody doesn't like this message, it would not be heard? Um, I think there is, you know, I think that's the reality, you know, in all, like in all of our work. Um, but, you know, I think that's, you know, really just a matter of, you know, like finding you know, like finding that common ground because we were so kind of caught up in our own little, in our own little issues, our own little niche. Um, like we need to kind of like open up and like work in a broader, like work in a broader fashion, you know, because even at the task force, like we are um, an LGBT organization, but we're also part of a broader like social justice movement. So we, you know, do speak out, you know, on reproductive rights issues. We do speak out on economic justice issues. We do speak out you know, like on immigration, like issues, like because they are gay issues um, as well. For sure. Do Do you feel uh, are there some issues that uh, you can't talk about in 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 gay uh, progressive work? Or, I mean that that wouldn't win you allies with other people that you would like to get working on. Or, I mean, are there some issues like that? Um. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we necessarily meet um, like resistance, but I think it takes a little more uh, time to kind of break down the, the kind of silo mentality that is out there, you know, and kind of the whole structure of like of nonprofit work where like each organization has a very specific and narrow uh, like mission, like or works on a very specific 
uh, community like or issue, you know, and the, I think the challenge is to kind of broaden, like broaden the agenda, um, like so to speak. So like I don't have to kind of check my ethnicity you know, like at the door when I work here, you know, or really get you know, like API organizations to mm-hmm. like really embrace like LGBT issues, you know, like and work in a truly in a true coalition like fashion. Because I think that's kind of the danger. Like the danger too is like when we don't stand like with other communities, and then when the LGBT community is under attack, then we then we're kind of left standing alone. For sure. Uh, do you think that it was? Uh, I mean, there's some argue, people argue that there strategically there may be some issues that are worth putting forward now uh, versus putting forward later, and some people argue that this whole focus on marriage uh, freaks out the right and uh, you know gives them a ready kind of issue to attack gay people with, uh, that they just want to get married and, you know, destroy the sanctity of marriage. And so it becomes a kind of emotive issue. Um, do you think there are, I mean, and with this gays in the military, there's another issue. Is, is that, do you, how would you see these playing out? Uh, do you see that there's some issues that you would focus on rather, uh, first rather than, uh, first, you know, how would you do? How would you prioritize these? Yeah, I mean, I really don't think there's like a hierarchy of hierarchy of issues. I mean, I think like the whole marriage like issue, like that was actually kind of thrust like on our community. Um, it's not like we kind of proactively like sought out and identified this as like this is the way we're going to yeah uh, like move forward. But it was kind of you know like a series of like of events and a series of both like legal victories, but also political, um, like setbacks, um, that kind of like forced us like to really engage like in this issue, like now, you know. But of course, you know, like um, like the repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell, you know, is important. Um, like the Uniting American Families Act, um, like is important. Um, but also kind of helping local like LGBT communities like build like build their infrastructure and like pass proactive like non-discrimination laws because we're still at a point where like just over half of the U.S. now lives in a, you know, like a city or state with um, with non-discrimination protection like for LGBT um, based on sexual orientation and gender identity. So it's very, like very incremental, like the kind of like progress that we're, um, progress that we're making. How about age of consent? Uh, I know in Europe the age of consent is much lower than the U.S. And Hong Kong got rid of its age of consent laws when a gay uh, teenager, 19 years old, challenged the 21 and over age right. of consent. Um, what what is your what do you think? Is there any likelihood of lowering it in the U.S.? Um, I mean, like my personal feeling, like around that, is that that is that that, that will always be like a very that will always be a very contentious, like, issue. I think kind of because of the, I don't know, like, the, the entire puritanical nature of, <laughs> like, of the U.S. and kind of, like, the foundations of, like, of so many people in, like, in, in society, I think that would yeah. be difficult to, like, difficult to change. I mean, I think people are always you know, like, say that they're, like, say that they're open-minded, but then, like, they never actually follow through and, and change laws to kind of reflect, 
reflect like reality. Maybe the way to do it is to, uh, like they did in Hong Kong, was to wait for a legal decision that to throw out arbitrary kind of ages that, uh, you know, things like that that are unconstitutionally applied or something. Yeah. Right. I mean, the whole. I mean, it took like a Supreme Court case to, um, to finally, like, rid the books of 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 anti sodomy laws. I mean, that just you know happened a couple of years ago. So. You know, like I don't know if I have very much, like, faith in like I guess the, the American political process to actually advance, you know, advance rights and advance freedom, like proactively. Yeah, yeah. Like without a legal, a legal decision. I think it's just 40 years since the anti-miscegenation laws were thrown out, um, where you know even somebody dating somebody was right. Uh, that, illegal. that was just yeah. they just celebrated the anniversary of that. Right just last week yeah and so it's a definitely a long process yeah do you um working at the task force do you find it um do you are you optimistic about um about um these community groups uh um getting uh, surviving you know it's, it seems to me one of the big issues with gay uh and lesbians uh and transgender uh, uh kind of community groups is the um burnout i suppose is that people that were really involved in it get burned out, and then how do you replace new uh, activists, basically? I mean, yeah, new I think, people with that, new activists. I think that always is a concern. I think leadership development, you know, identifying um, like new people, you know, and being you know, really proactive, you know, in responding to uh, people's like people's needs. Like if people, if like activists, like need a break, you know, we should encourage. Like we should encourage that, but we should also like kind of identify like a pipeline of new, young, like upcoming, like upcoming leaders to develop their to develop their skills because like the activism that they do like in the LGBT community, you know, can be very you know applicable like in whatever field um, uh, people choose to like work in like the rest of their lives. So you know, and there's always going to be a new generation of you know, of folks coming out and you know, kind of like joining the, like joining the community. So, you know, from your survey results, did you find out when people actually came out? Um, no, we didn't ask. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah, we actually removed that from the previous. <laughs> oh, why? Why removed it? Uh, it was, I think, just a strategic, you know, decision to. I like not focus like so much like on on just like the coming out process, um, mm. but focus a bit more on the proactive um, like anti discrimination work, you know, and political um, like priorities. Do you th- really? Yeah. Do you think Asians come out differently from non Asians? Yeah. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think. How, how come? I think there are many how? more like many more stages. Ah. Like to it, and I think there's also many more levels of many levels of of outness. Um, like it's, sometimes it's not just enough to be out to your parents, but then that's just one level. But then you know, like aunts and uncles is like another like level. Grandparents, you know, it's another level. Coworkers, friends, you know, and people could be selectively out to like one or many of these subgroups. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, but not maybe not all. 
simultaneously. And maybe being out is like unspoken, right? Like you could be working for a gay organization, and that's your way of coming out. <laughs> yeah, it's a very and, and the whole idea of coming out is a very kind of Western like notion, like too. Like is you know coming out the only way you know of you know of self empowerment. It's definitely a nuclear family kind of notion. Yeah, it's kind of a nuclear family notion, and it kind of is based on the idea that we are all like individuals alone, and the only thing that matters is like yourself. I see. Yeah. Uh, but in a more kind of collective um, society or a more collective culture, like is coming out like the only way. Right. Yeah. And. Um do you plan to, does the task force plan to do other surveys? Uh, I know you did one on homeless, right? Did you, do, uh, it was a report on uh, uh, We just homeless. recently re- released a report on homeless youth, yeah. on LGBT homeless youth, and we're kind of following up on that because there's a lot of you know, talk about that issue, uh, like now and the particular experiences of LGBT like homeless youth. What was the re- uh, ethnic breakdown there? Was it, um, um, I'm not exactly... Like, I'm not exactly sure. I'm um, not the primary oh, uh, researcher on that yeah. on that project. Yeah. Yeah. But that is also, you know, something that we're very, you know, kind of taking the lead, taking the lead on that issue. And, we're, like, working, like, not only with, you know, like, service providers, but also with government, like, officials to try to get more, like, funding yeah. for, for LGBT homeless youth and, like, services. Uh, on this survey, can you talk about how much you the task force uh, funded this? How much was spent on doing the survey? Um, this was basically my baby for three years. So oh. this is, um, you know, like three years of three years of staff time. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's hard to you know quantify like a dollar amount, but right, right. You know, like all the resources that you know that we needed to do to communicate, you know, and work with. Was there a major donor for this particular survey? Uh, no, there wasn't. We actually are seeking a major donor, like at this point, to actually publish, uh, to actually publish the book, publish the report, right? Uh, yeah, and get, hard, and get hard copies, like of it. And oh, we are seeking, you know, contributions to that to that end. Will the data be available to researchers? Um, I'd be happy to work with you know, like different researchers, um, you know, for different, like, avenues of, different avenues of analysis. Um, we want to make sure that, you know, this information gets out there and this information, you know, is, like, is useful for uh, researchers who want to, like, do additional layers of, additional layers of analysis. Oh, good. Okay. Well, thank you very much. We've reached the end of our hour. Uh, thank you, Alan Dang, for uh, talking about his survey of uh, queer Asian um, uh, nationally here in the U.S. Thank yeah, you. Thank you very, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, this is Dan Sang signing off for Subversity here on KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.